0: But for those of you, I know it's hot out there, and when I was planning this sermon, I was saying, okay, i got to keep it short, i got to keep it short, i got to keep it short, right? And then, But as the worship team was playing, I was getting more pumped up, more and pumped up. You know, and I'm going to say, God, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to keep this short. So just a low. I know I told you, and I've, I've said this millions of times, that I'll try to keep it short, but... I'll do my best, but no promises. So you guys, I know it's hot out there, so I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit will just keep you cool while um, you're out there. Uh, But we're in this series, a four-week series called A New Hope. And I think we're in a time, especially for those of us, where hope is something that's desperately needed. You know, whether it's in our personal lives or just watching this world around us, listening to the news, you know, it, it could be so discouraging. You know, and, and, you know, it's hope. You know, the hope that God provides is something that we desperately needed. And so last week I talked about hope for the weary, meaning some of us are just tired. We're weary. And then we say, well, this is where we turn to Jesus. And we said that Jesus' yoke is what? His easy easy, and his burden is light. And what we were saying, or what I was saying, is Jesus does not um, let up on his expectations of us. Jesus' expectations of us remain the same. However, His burden is, um, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Why? Because He does the work. And so, when we're weary, right? We are to take on his yoke. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. And remember what I said, And when we let the Holy Spirit do the work, it's like us being in a kayak, and we're just moving with the flow of the current because the Holy Spirit is working. However, so many times when things get difficult, what do we try to do? We try to power through it. We try to figure it out. We say we just need to do more. We just need to work harder, right? Whatever it is to reach our goal, and that's like paddling upstream, And that's where it gets hard. We have to live by walking with the Holy Spirit. right? And today we're going to talk about this hope for the broken. This hope for the broken. And could you take a look at this um, uh, next uh, picture here? Okay, this is a uh, camel, right? And you could see him. There's all of this straw or hay that this camel is carrying. And some of you might not get this illustration, some of you younger folks. But there is this saying that the straw that broke the what? Camel's back, right? And so basically you see this camel carrying all of this weight. And, you know, he's doing okay. He's doing okay. But he's at the threshold. He's at the threshold. And you say, well, it's just straw. Straw's light. But when you put a lot on, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And then all it takes is that one piece of straw to put it on that camel. And what happens? It collapses under the weight. And that might be some of you today. You might be this camel where you're just going through life and it's just burdensome, right? And all it takes is one small thing and it's gonna, you, you, you feel like, I'm going to break I'm going to break, right? And and sometimes, you know, our brokenness is a result of things we can't control. It's our environment. It could be other people. It could be relationships, right? Things happen to us when we're already carrying this load and we're saying, God, I, I can't take any more of this. All it's going to take is this one straw. And it's not this big, heavy weight. It's just one light straw. And then I'm going to break, right? Some of you might be feeling that way right now. But then some of us, you know, we feel this burden or we feel broken because it's something of our own doing. It's choices that we personally make that were bad choices, right? And then all of a sudden, our life, we feel broken because our life goes, it collapses, our world just spins out of control. Why? Because we've made a bad choice. And I've been there many times where well, i was broken not because of things that i could control i was broken because of decisions just poor decisions that i made but the good thing is that god gives us hope for the broken and i hope that we leave with this hope today and so we're going to start off by looking at an account that's in john 8 OK, and before I start, many of you might look in your Bibles and you see this italicized or some part or you see all of these footnotes. Now, you know, this is one of the stories that we've told a lot, but pretty much every biblical scholar believes that the passage that I'm going to read you, that the Apostle John did not write this. That it was not, that the Apostle John did not write this. This was added later. And the reason we know this is that the earliest manuscripts did not have this passage in it, right? It didn't have it in it. And when later on, when they actually put it in the manuscripts, it was in five different places in the Bible. One time it was actually recorded in the Gospel of Luke. The early church fathers never even mentioned this one. You know, parable, and if you read the book of John, and you see like um, John seven uh, verse 52, I believe, and then you read this, and 53 and on it goes, "Wait, it, it seems like it doesn't fit. It looks like it was just put there. And so this is why many most biblical scholars believe that the Apostle John never wrote this. Right? that it was added later by a scribe. However, this was an oral tradition that was going around in the early church. Right? And so one of the monks, who are the scribes who copied this, because you know, John wrote the first copy, and unfortunately we don't have the original manuscripts. But this, these scribes actually said, you know what, this story is really, it's just too good to leave out. So they were looking for a place to put it. But all modern day scholars believe that this was an actual event and this, this actually does not contradict Jesus or who he is. So we believe this was inspired by God, even though John himself did not write this. And I just wanted to bring that up because I know there's some biblical scholars here that, you know, I just wanted to let you know that I did do my research. Okay. But anyway, it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And it says, at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people were gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. And so we see Jesus coming to the church, and he's teaching people. It'd be just like me here, you know, teaching you. And so then it says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. And they said, Jesus, they said to Jesus, well, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the, law of the, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? So you get the picture here that, you know, he, Jesus is teaching people. And here the Pharisees, they were the teacher of the law. They were the ones who, you know, tried to... Uh, have the people keep the law. And they were like the law keepers, right? So they bring this woman who was actually caught in adult, the act of adultery. They brought her in and they said, okay, Jesus, what do you want us to do? Because they said the law of Moses says that we what? Should stone her. And that's true. Because if you take a look at the, you know, the law of Moses in Leviticus, it says that the punishment for adultery was that um, the couple, both the man and the woman who was caught in adultery, they should be stoned. However, if you take a look at this, that's really not what they were after here. In, in the next verse, it says what? It says they were using this questions as a trap in order to have basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Okay, so, get the, so we see this, that these people bring in a woman who was caught in adultery. However, that's really not what they were after. Their, their goal was to trap Jesus. And why was that? Because the law of Moses said that they should be stoned. And so if Jesus said, okay, you need to sto- okay, go ahead, you know, stone this person. I agree with you. That's the law the law is still in enforce this woman should be executed then um, if they if he didn't say don't do that then they would say what hey you don't agree with the law you're going against the law of moses right however if you said you know what you guys are right You know, let's stone this person. Okay, you know, this is how we're going to do it. She broke the law. Then he would have been in trouble with the Romans. Because in that time, Israel was under the rule of the Roman Empire. And in that time, only the Romans, um, a government, had the authority to execute people. The Jews could not execute people even though it was part of their law, right? Only the Romans had that authority. So they were trying to trap Jesus, right? Either you are um, breaking the law of Moses, right? If you say, you know, just don't do anything, or if you do agree with this, you know, he's going against what his teaching of love and compassion, as well as and mercy, as well as going against the Roman government. And see, there was no evidence in that time that they took this law seriously. Because if you notice, who did they bring? They just brought the woman. They just brought the woman. Where was the guy? You know, they they said they were caught in the act. So under Mosaic law, they should have brought both of them. But they only brought the woman. All right, so they really weren't serious about this, the law. All they wanted to do was trap Jesus. So how did Jesus respond But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. So once again, they were looking to trap Jesus and say, teacher, what do you should do? And so what does Jesus do? He just gets down and he writes something. And then, you know, Jesus you know, gets up, right? But then what are they doing here? They kept on questioning him because he didn't say anything. And then he says this perfect line, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then what happened? He stooped down and wrote on the ground. Again, so this is the second time, right? And then at this, those who heard it began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now what was Jesus writing? Well, we have no idea. There's a lot of speculation of what Jesus was writing. But what most people think, and once again, this is just speculation because the Bible doesn't say it, is Jesus started writing down the sins of of those who were wanting to accuse this woman, that he was writing them on the ground, right? So could you imagine these guys wanting to stone this woman so they have the stones ready to go, right? And then all of a sudden Jesus starts writing down, there's, ooh, wow, how do you know I did that? Oh, they didn't realize he was God, so he's just writing this down, right? And basically, um, and, and it says, who left first? The older ones left first. Why? Because the older ones are probably more aware of their sins because they had a longer time to commit more and more sins than these younger ones. And isn't that true? I mean, I know we see a lot of you young guys here right now, and you know, you've lived life, and yes, you know, you've made mistakes, but then you look at guys like me who've looked at a whole lifetime of mistakes and oh, yeah, ooh, there's no, I mean, if Jesus wrote that down, he would be like he'd be writing down forever if it was just me, right? So these older people got it, right? They weren't happy. They wanted this woman stoned, right? The, the leaders were probably enraged because they wanted to trap Jesus, but they didn't realize that, hey, you can't win a chess match against God. God's going to win every single time and then jesus straightened up and asked her women woman where are they has no one condemned you no one sir she said then neither do i condemn you jesus declared now go and leave your life of sin this is a beautiful example of how jesus deals with broken people Because remember, the Bible says that this woman was caught in the act of adultery. So probably she was caught the night before, and they were keeping her. And she was probably being in this holding cell. She was probably scared. She knew about the law and all of that. And she was probably broken over what she did, right? And she didn't know what was going to happen. She thought, well, maybe, just maybe, this is my last night here on earth because they're going to execute me but what did Jesus do? She said, they go, where are those who condemn you? And he goes, no one condemned you, and neither do I condemn you. And I think this is an excellent example for us to follow when we find ourselves overreacting judgmentally or with an attitude of self-righteousness to somebody else's sin, right? We have the rocks. We're holding the rocks ready to throw, right? Because we think that Other people are the ones making mistakes, but not us, right? This gives us a good example that we have to remember how much God has forgiven each one of us before we want to stone and accuse somebody else, right? Because, see, Jesus, we see the sins of people, right? Jesus sees the person we have a hard time separating a person's sin from that individual, right? When somebody does something to us, we, we, it's like, hey, they're a bad person, right? But God has the ability to separate us from who we are with our actions. And isn't that such good news for us, right? That when God sees me, my identity with him is that I am his child, Not that I'm the guy who makes all of these mistakes, right? He separates that, and praise God that he does that. But Jesus grants a pardon, not an acquittal, because the call to leave off sinning shows that he knew that she indeed was guilty of adultery, right? And so part of this, when we take a look at this, we could kind of go into this quandary and this is what these we could have these false assumptions and the first false assumption is god is so merciful that i could do anything that we see in scripture that well if god's merciful if god's going to forgive me well i could just live whatever i want any way i want to do right that's not what jesus is saying here god says be holy because what i am holy god calls us to a life of holiness Just because we have his mercy, just because we have his forgiveness, does not give us license to disobey him and do whatever we want. But on the other hand, the assumption is, oh my goodness, there are certain sins that God will never forgive. Or, you know, I've done this so many times that God will never forgive me. That's also a false assumption. You know, this is a beautiful example of truth and grace. And as a pastor, this is something that I try to live out in my life, balancing truth and grace. Because scripture is important. Because, you know, there are some times where I have saying, well, maybe the Bible didn't mean this when I'm dealing with people. But whenever I do that, whenever I, you know, water down scripture, it feels like part of my soul dies when I do that. When I don't uphold scripture, Or sometimes I interpreted it to have a more favorable interpretation for individuals. Part of my soul dies because I am not upholding Scripture. So I will not do that, right? I have to follow what Scripture says and to be obedient to what Scripture says, that it is not okay to live the life any way you want, right? And you'll get that from me, right? But there's also that grace part. And the reason I enjoy this sermon so much because brokenness is kind of like the story of my life. You know, and I've shared with you before that I'm stubborn. You know, just, I, I'm just stubborn. You know, God's given me this stubborn streak. And when I read scripture, when my parents told me these lessons, they said, well, you know what? Okay, I've got to find this out for myself before I believe it. So the Bible says, don't do this. I said, well, let's see. And then I do it, and I go, oh, man, you know, my life's all messed up right now. Okay, I figured it out. I won't do that again, right? But when you live your life like that, you're going to be broken. And there are so many times in my life that God was broken. And I get that. I understand that. That's why as a pastor, I'm not I'm a horrible administrator. You all know that. You know, I'm not the best teacher. I'm not the smartest guy out there, right? But one thing I do get is brokenness. And I will always be there for you and your children, no matter how, guy hurt you are. No matter how broken you are, I'll always be there for you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth. but I'm going to also let you know that I get it. I feel it, and that I'll be there, and I'll walk with you through that. So don't even don't ever feel that you can't come to me if you feel that you're at the point where the straw broke that camel's back. Oh, sorry. I've got one. <laughs> I come prepared. You know, I don't even know why why that, that just happened. But I just want you to know that's how that, uh, that's how I'll lead this church. I'll balance truth. I'm gonna tell you the truth because I love you. But I'm also gonna balance it with grace. Because that's what I believe Jesus wants us to do. But there's another example that Jesus talks about, and I've been here many times, too. And if you take a look at Luke 18:9, it says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Now, you get this here, that Jesus is talking to a, peop- a group of people who thought they were self-righteous. They thought they were better than everybody else, and they looked down on people. So Jesus told this parable to them. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. For those of you who don't know what a Pharisee was, they were the Christian, the Jewish leaders. They were the one who uphold the law. They were the ones who were very legalistic and they forced everybody to hold the law. And if they didn't, they were very judgmental to those people. But the other was a tax collector. And a tax collector was somebody who was hated by the uh, Jews. Why? Because it was their role to collect taxes for the Roman government, right? So let's say the Roman government said, okay, I want you to collect 10% from each person. So they would go and collect 10%. But then Rome said as long as they got their cut, they didn't care how much the tax collector could tax somebody. So basically the tax collector could charge you 20%, and he would pocket 10%. Now, what they would try to do is try to figure out how much they could tax you where they could still, where you could still afford to pay them without breaking you. And the, they were just despised by these people. And it'd be like you picking out a person today who was despised by our culture. That's who this person would be. It said, so then the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like those other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Wow, what a prayer, right? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is where Jesus comes in. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what happens? We see two people here. One was a self-righteous Pharisee who did everything right. And then we see this tax collector, right, who couldn't even look at heaven. He was so broken. And although, while the tax collector said, God, I thank you that I'm not like this guy over here. Thank you for blessing me that I'm not like him. The tax collector, all he could say is he was so broken. Lord, I'm a sinner. Please have mercy on me. And who went away justified? The person who is broken, the person who is broken. So if you're broken here today, that's the response that you get. And many times when you're broken, especially when you're broken because of something that you did, it was your decision, it was your choice, and I have said this prayer many times in my life, is all I could say is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that was my prayer to God. But the good thing is God accepts that and exalts somebody with that kind of attitude. Psalm 51, 17 says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. So if you're broken, God is near to you. If you're broken, God will not despise you. If you're broken and come to God, this is your sacrifice to him. Not this proud attitude like that Pharisee, but this broken heart. And finally, we're going to look at an illustration in the uh, New Testament. And this is from 2 Corinthians um, chapter 2, starting 4. Verse six, it says, for God who said, let shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So basically he's saying is God is saying that our his light, his glory should shine through us. Okay, so he should shine through us. But he also continues, Paul continues in verse 7, but we have this treasures in jars of clay to show that his, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Once again, this is beautiful because he says we have this treasure in jars of clay. Who are the jars of clay? We are the jars of clay. And back in then, what were the jars of clay? They were worthless. They were clay pots. You know what they did with those jars of clay? It's kind of gross, but they would use it to cart around human waste. <laughs> they would use it to put their trash in it and dump it. That's what these uh, clay jars were used for. And that's what Paul is saying we are, right? But instead of putting trash in this, what does Paul say? We are this normal, normal, everyday vessel that has no value to the rest of the world, but is extremely valuable to God. Why? Because he pours his treasure into it. And what's his treasure? It's himself. God puts his treasure into us. So if you think you're normal, if you think there's nothing significant about you, well, that's good news, because that's who God says we are, right? We're precious to him, but he puts this treasure in us where you wouldn't think treasure should be pressed. And, And the thing is, what happens when these clay jars break? It's when we see these cracks. It's when we see these holes that God's light that he said earlier could shine through us. So if you go to the next slide, this is us. When we think we're broken, we think, oh my gosh, that's not a good thing. How could God use me? And some of you might be sitting here today just feeling that right now. I'm broken. There is no way God could use me. Well, this is how God uses you. It's through your cracks. It's through your holes that the light, that the treasure, he pours in each one of us who are ordinary, fragile vessels. What happens? The light shines through so you might think you're broken and you might think god can do nothing through you but it's in your brokenness that god takes pleasure in showing his light why because paul says this in verse 7 right it says to show that this all-surpassing power is from god not us right I mean, if this is this beautiful vessel, everyone's going to say, if your life was perfect, you know, you're going to say, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. You know, Dave's life is perfect. So this is why he's able to do all these things. He's such a gifted individual. I'm not, but I'm just using that as an exaggeration. Um, But anyway, you would think, ah, okay, yeah, he's gifted. You know, look, Tom Brady. Oh, yeah, he scored his touchdown. No big deal. He's Tom Brady, right? But... When it's somebody who's broken, when it's somebody that no one would expect that these wonderful and marvelous things could happen, they're going to stand up and notice, take notice. And that's you and I. But it's through our brokenness that God will use you. So some of you right now might be pushed to the brink, right? You might say, God, just that one more straw, one more straw is going to break me. And this is where the hope comes in it says we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed we are comp- we are perplexed but not in despair we are persecuted but not abandoned we are struck down but not destroyed i mean isn't this a wonderful verse that we could be pushed to the brink, but we're never going to be pushed to the part where we're going to be destroyed. We're never going to be pushed to the part where that straw is going to break your camel's back. As believers of Christ, this is a promise to us. We will never get to that point. Now, you might think, okay, God, I I can't handle this. Just one more straw. But the Bible promises that you might be struck down, and the word struck down is, is, is the word they use for somebody who got, like, say, a, a club or something and hit you, and then you went down because of that. But it says what? You're not going to be destroyed. It says you're knocked down, but never knocked out. You're the modern day Rocky. He's Rocky, you know, the boxer. I always get worried about that because I love, I mean, I love those movies and all these other kids like, Rocky, what's that? What's that? You know, but you know, Rocky, right? If you look at all of those movies, he was always knocked down. But what was the thing about Rocky? He always got back up again. Yeah, I mean, he took a beating, right? But he always got back up. And if you haven't seen Rocky, watch it, you know, because this is what we're talking about here. You're going to be knocked down, but you're always going to get Back up again. And I could promise you that you will always get back up again. Why? Because the Bible promises you that. But there's another reason it's because of our seniors, right? Our seniors. You know, I've listened to their stories. And I've listened to what they have gone through. And I am saying, how did you even get yourself up the mat? You know, that would crush most people. You know, some of it came from the outside. Some of it was etern- internal. Some of it was illness. But look, if you look at our seniors, they're still here. They're still serving the Lord. And they're a testament to this chapter and verse and the promise of God. And so this is why seniors you are so important and young people you need to get to know the seniors you get to you have to get to know their stories so they could tell you what they went through things that if you heard you would say no way if that happened to me that would totally destroy you but here they are here they are still worshipping God and they are a testament to the promise that God made us in 2 Corinthians 4. That's how I know. And so some of you here might be at that point. Well, we have living testimonies right here who've been through some things that would crush most people. But they're here, they're worshiping the Lord, and they still testify to the goodness of God. That's why young people, you've got to get to know our seniors. You've got to hear the stories, the wonderful testimonies that God has come through time and a time again for them. And seniors, thank you so much for being here and being the testimonies that those of us who are younger could look to and say, you know what? The Bible is true because we saw that in your life. So that's the hope I want you to leave here. Some of you might feel that you are at the point where one more straw. But the Bible promises that you will never, ever be broken to the point where you'll never get back up. You will never be destroyed. You will never be abandoned. You will never be crushed, and you will never be left in despair, because the Bible promises that it 's no fun when you go through this, but you will never ever, ever be destroyed so what 's a weekly challenge to you this week? The weekly challenge is I want you to read john eight one through eleven luke eighteen nine Through 14, Psalm 51, 17, and 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 9. So I know this is a lot. You guys aren't going to remember this, so click, take a picture of that, right? And then this is what I want you to do. If you feel either pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, or struck down, call a few brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for you. Reach out to the community here. And I would suggest that you reach out to some of our seniors. Because they've been through it. They've seen the goodness of God. Okay, what, the next one. If you know anyone who feels either pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, or struck down, call reach out, or reach out to them uh, with a few brothers and sisters in Christ to support them. Encourage them. Let them know that they're not going to be destroyed. Let them know that, yes, you're knocked down, but you're going to get up, and we're going to be here to help you get up. Worship would you please come forward? And let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are a God who loves the broken. You are a God who understands and has mercy on those who are broken. And even if we are broken because it's decisions that we made, Father, that you love us unconditionally. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here that is struggling who feel that the burden is too great, and all it's going to take is that one straw that's going to break me to the point that I won't be able to get up. Father, would you remind them of the promises that you made to them in Second Corinthians chapter 4? That yes, we might get knocked down, but Father, we'll always get up. Father, I pray for everyone here who knows somebody who might be broken. Father, that you use them as a vessel where your light will shine. Father, that you would bring people to their mind where they could shine their light in their situation. To let them know that you serve a God that will not let his children be destroyed. That yes, we might be knocked down, but we'll always get up. And Father, I thank you for our seniors. Father, I've heard their stories. I've heard what they've gone through. And part of me wonders, God, why did you allow them to go through such hardship? and trials. But Father, they are living testaments to your promises. And I thank you for their lives. And Father, I pray that you would use them to teach the younger generations that yes, you can go through some pretty horrific times But through the power of God, he's going to get you through it. I thank you, God, so much that you use broken people to declare your power and to declare your glory. In your son's name we pray, amen.